Nato Bakos is a senior fellow at the Foreign Policy Research Institute, but I think more remarkable, she worked for the CIA as a targeter, which meant you had to choose which terrorists to kill, basically. Well, in a nutshell, I guess that, that's probably the most concise way to define it. And you were part of the hunt for uh, Abu Musa al-Zarqawi. Yes, I was. I initially started out as an analyst on the team charged with evaluating whether Iraq had anything to do with 9-11 and al-Qaeda. And then I eventually moved over into a targeting officer role. So were you the one who sent the memo that said, I recommend we kill this person? Well, I mean, my initial job as an analyst, I was actually part of the team writing the presidential daily briefs and the large intelligence assessment before the Iraq war, stating that Iraq had no involvement with 9-11 and al-Qaeda. Eventually, when I became a targeting officer on the operations side, it was my team working with the U.S. military, working to dismantle al-Qaeda, what eventually became al-Qaeda in Iraq. You've never written a book about it called The Targeter, My Life in the CIA, Hunting Terrorists and Challenging the White House. Tell me about the challenging the White House part. So in the run-up to the Iraq War, um, there were two... Uh, points of interest that the administration was actually trying to use to um, articulate a reason that we should invade Iraq, one of which was WMD. Um, we know all how that yes. played out. And the other one was Iraq's ties to terrorism, and specifically around their ties to al-Qaeda. But we found out before the Iraq war that Iraq didn't have a relationship with al-Qaeda. They didn't know about 9-11. It didn't coordinate on any of attacks. So when that was communicated to Congress and to the White House, it was largely ignored and actually spun into a different type of narrative. Yeah, well, we all know that. Who, who made the decision to ignore it? Well, you know, as, we, as we're looking at the White House today, there are elements within the White House that have stronger opinions about whether or not we should go to war. Right now, it's John Bolton. He's always right. been an advocate for invading Iran. At the time, it was Vice President Cheney and uh, elements at the Pentagon under Doug Fife. As long as you brought up John Bolton, there's considerable speculation about his role in the current tension we're experiencing with uh, Iran, in particular, uh, this drone. There's some question about whether it was in Iranian territory or international, over international waters. Um, you're not in the CIA anymore, right? I am not. I left in 2010. Okay. Would the United States deliberately send a drone into Iranian airspace for the purpose of goading them into shooting it down and using that as a pretense for war? Not this kind of drone. This is a different, this is a global hawk. This is a $150 million drone. This isn't one of our drones that we have hundreds of. So this mm -hmm. one also has, is loaded with lots of equipment. It's the size of a commercial airliner. So, so to lose this piece of equipment and this kind of reconnaissance intelligence and technology is kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. So you're pretty sure they did not send it into Iranian airspace? That would be really, really surprising, too. <laughs> we have okay. lots of drones. We can probably get rid of that isn't one of them. I don't mean to show any disloyalty, but after the whole uh, Iraq experience, uh, I think people are entitled to ask questions. I, I think people should ask questions, and I think there's plenty of other areas where there's been escalation with Iran. We have yet to really engage in like military escalation over losing a drone, and I don't think we will, hopefully, over this one. Um, but there's other areas where the administration has 
escalated um, threats against Iran. They've put them in a position to achieve things that are basically not achievable at this point without diplomacy. We we have removed um, from the table the the agreement that the Obama administration had entered. So we've shut down talks as far as the nuclear agreement goes. Um, we have escalated in other areas. Iran has responded. Iran has then, in turn, escalated in other areas, you know, in the Strait of Hormuz, um, jockeying with different military equipment. It, the, the problem is, at this point, the White House has really taken on a role of cat and mouse and trying to figure out at what point does the American public just decide, well, Iran has escalated so much, we need to do something about yeah. it. And I think it's a miscalculation on their part. If you were still working for the CIA, what would you be doing at this point? Uh, (laughs) Would you be part of this effort to figure out what's on Iran's mind? Possibly, given the experience that I had previously, um, you know, working with an administration that was really chomping the bit to go to war. uh, They're going to have to push back pretty hard on the intelligence and making sure that that point gets across on whether or not Iran has, you know, working on nuclear capability. We know they're not. Does Iran is are they harboring Al Qaeda? Do they have ties to Al Qaeda? Which is a, which is the article that came out this week? They're going to be going through all the intelligence, you know, pulling out all the salient bits, and then giving them the bottom line about the the basically passive relationship Iran has had with Al Qaeda, mm-hmm. and trying to get the administration to listen to that. Yeah. So in other words, you don't think there's any there that Iran presents any terrorist threat to us. Iran has elements of. IRGC, they have ties to Hezbollah. There's there's terrorist threats that, um, from the perspective of a strategic response that they can utilize against us, they have that capability. And we know Hezbollah has obviously ties into Iran and into Lebanon. But that aside has nothing to do with the current escalation, because this has been an ongoing problem. And the only way to solve some of this stuff is to sit down and start talking to them rather than this tit-for-tat we're doing in the news between the two countries. Do you think do you think Iran wants us to start a war? I don't I mean, think, they say they don't, but I, I mean, don't think Iran Iran is suicidal. I don't I think they know that um the United States is pushing them into a corner. They aren't reacting in an appropriate way either. They keep escalating every time they respond to ridiculous statements and declarative statements that the United States is making. What ridiculous statements have we made? Well, we're declaring Iran has to <laughs> um, abide by certain terms that really are not very achievable without a clear diplomatic agreement. And when Secretary Pompeo laid out his his um, requirements for Iran, it was clear that they really weren't looking at negotiation. The United States wasn't. What they're really looking for is just complete capitulation on Iran's part. There is no country that will do that for America. What would be reasonable to expect from Iran? I think at this point, engaging with the nuclear agreement that other parties are still part of. Um, We need to talk about de-escalation with the Iranian um, Revolutionary Guard Corps. We need to talk about de-escalation in the Strait of Hormuz. They need to start focusing on responses that are measurable and that Iran will sit down on the table and talk about. Because really what what Pompeo was articulating is regime change at the end of the day. He didn't come out and say it, but that's really what his focus is. But they like to do attack those ships, right? They like to shoot down the drone, which we will uh, stipulate was in international airspace. Um, Is there part of Iran's regime that is not under the control of the central government? Yeah, there is. 
I mean, there's a there's a contingency even of, of government elements that at times have a tactical response that could escalate things outside of what the central government's focus is. But at the same time, um, Iran isn't a loose cannon in this in the same way that I see Kim Jong Un out of North Korea. Um, escalating tensions. He has complete and total control over most elements of his government, where Iran does not. But again, Iran has a much more functioning society. They have their own economy, their own infrastructure. They're not looking for a fight like we are. Mm -hmm. So, of course, there are parts of our government which are not all on the same page either. So um, I, I take you believe that if John Bolton had his way, we'd be shooting at Iran. Is that right? I, yes, months ago. Um, do you believe President Trump when he says he does not want war? I, I, I'm sure he probably doesn't. I mean, that's going to take away from his time of doing other things, right? This is that's you're all in once you're at war. Yeah. So, and I'm sure from a, a re-election perspective, he doesn't really want to deal with the quagmire of being drugged into another I'm war. Not sure. I mean, that 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 brings out the patriotism. Um, People who would normally oppose Trump for his conduct would say, well, we got to support our nation now because we're in this. I think, yeah, and I think that is entirely possible. But at the same time, I think there's real, we are uh, a different mindset and can ask other questions that we weren't asking, especially right after 9-11. Do you think we would have, uh, if we decided to go to war against Iran, we'd have the support of our allies or would would we be alone? I think we'd be largely alone. I think there are some countries that would stand by us, um, probably the UK, just out of long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there will be a lot of resources thrown at this at all. No, we don't have that many troops. I mean, when we invaded um, Iraq, we had, what, half a million troops? So we're we're clearly not doing that this time. It'd be some sort of air war. And at that point, wouldn't Iran basically carry through with its threat to cut off oil shipments? Yeah, most likely. They would be deploying any assets they had um, around the world to retaliate. And what would we do? They'd sink some ships. No, nobody could get through. What would we do? Right. So you're right. I think I think it would be a largely a military air response that we would engage in. Um, once Iran retaliates, then we're looking at another escalation of possibly a land war. Because after, after that would just give Bolton another excuse to then go in and go harder. Yeah. So being a private citizen now um, and wanting to prevent something like this, what should other private citizens do if they want to prevent something like this? Be extremely vocal with Congress. Right now, the White House, the administration is really trying to push through any military action with Iran based on the 2001 AUMF, which was the regulation that we used. Authorization for the use of military force. Yes, and that's the regulation we used to go into Afghanistan after 9-11, go after after al-Qaeda, which is why they're trying to tie this back to al-Qaeda again so that they can do this under that regulation. Everybody needs to talk to their congressperson, their senator, every— and be very clear that this is not part of the AUMF. You don't see it that way as a U.S. citizen and that you're not on board with this. Yeah. I want to talk more about your career because you I mean, you basically gathered the information that led to people being killed. Did that affect you in some way? It did. Um, I guess in the, in the same way I realized later that it, that it affects U.S. military. It's, you know, it, I ended up diagnosed with PTSD. Um, war has an impact on everybody, um, the civilians in Iraq. I mean, we're looking right now with Syria, an entire region 
of children and families with PTSD because of their experience. Right. But I mean, when, when Abu Musab al-Zarqari was killed, did they show you the pictures? Or? You know, um, he killed so many innocent civilians, and his whole intention was really just to keep killing more people, not just U.S. military. In fact, his largest impact was Iraqi civilians. The fact that he was, you know, taken out so that he, his organization could be dismantled, that's what we're there for. That's that was the focus of my job. Yeah. So I can see where you wouldn't have any regrets over that. Not really. Did you ever make a mistake where someone was targeted and taken out and there was some innocent person nearby? Well, we didn't own the action arm inside of Iraq. Um, That was done by the U.S. military. There were times when the machine would start rolling based on our information and it was going too slow. And so then it would end up targeting some of the wrong people. After the facts. But we were very, very centered and focused on Zarqawi and his leadership. So we weren't looking at really broad swaths of other other groups. Mm-hmm. We weren't looking at insurgents that well, were Iraqis. But how do you handle how did you personally handle collateral damage? Um, you know, it's probably part of what led to the PTSD. I think guilt is one of the guilt and shame, I think, are probably the two largest emotions that are the causes of PTSD in in my experience. How did you get past it? Lots of therapy, lots of family and friend support. Mm-hmm. Would you Would you do it again? I mean, I would hope our country isn't in a situation again. Yeah. Um, the job itself is, you know, it's it's an in, very interesting job. It's um, not just working in counterterrorism, but being an analyst at the CIA is a very interesting job, and that was probably. I'll probably ha- not have a job again that's as interesting as that was. Were you? Did you volunteer to be a targeter, or were, were you recruited? Well, a little of both. Um, I was getting burnout on the analyst side answering policymaker questions, mm-hmm. and I decided that I needed to do something differently, and, and that was one of the senior-level um, supervisors there. That's the job they came up with, and I, I accepted that one. Yeah. In the Iraq case, it seems as if the CIA felt stymied, that, that there were many people trying to, were flashing the warning signs. You're about to make a mistake. You're about to make a mistake. But nobody was listening. Was there something that you or others could have done differently to, to, to have prevented that mistake, with the, the, the consequences of which we are still living with? Especially on the WMD side, I would say yes, Right. In the run-up to the Iraq War, there was an, a national intelligence assessment done about WMD, which is largely wrong, as we know now. But even within that estimate, there, the language that was used in there was that it was not an imminent threat. Mm-hmm. And I think that should have been um, the biggest emphasis for the CIA with the administration. CIA cannot make policy, and they can't speak publicly. So you could not have said, um, do not go to war over this information. No, because we can't make that decision for yeah. them. And you wouldn't have leaked something to the press? I, I mean, you go to jail for that, right? Yep. And at the end of the day, our information actually was in public domain. It was? Yeah. The the findings on the Iraq al-Qaeda stuff, there, that was the assessment was actually in public domain prior to the invasion. Even some of the language around the WMD information about it not being in it. And that's the reporter's fault then. 
Well, as we, as we know, there were a couple reporters who jumped on the bandwagon that's right. of going to war. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's, um, that's a pretty sobering uh, assessment. So what's your mission now going forward? You're with the, the Foreign Policy Research Institute. What, what do you see your mission as being now? Well, I'm still trying to figure that out, what I want to be when I grow up. But <laughs> I have been um, working with social media companies now for a little while as a consultant. Um, they're really grappling with a large problem, as we all know. Yeah. And some some of my uh, volunteer time is spent working on climate change issues. Really? Why? Because I think that's one of our largest national security threats right now globally and nationally. We certainly heard that said, but there are still skeptics who say uh, they're just trying to scare us. I think it's really just very simple. It comes down to resources. When you start restricting resources, humans don't react rationally. We, you know, we have a survival instinct. And I saw this inside of Iraq. We took away infrastructure. Once we collapsed the government and didn't allow anybody to go back to work, people were out without water and power and food. And that causes people to do really irrational things to survive. Which countries do you think are most vulnerable to that? Well, I think that's a good question, especially with the global economy. I, of course, I think, unfortunately, uh, countries that have been, you know, ravished by poor agriculture practices are some countries throughout Africa, mm-hmm. I would say, are probably in Dire so we're talking about the already. usual suspects here. Yeah. These will be massive movements I, of people. But, but I think it's going to affect all of that's us. That's what I'm wondering. I mean, at some point, right, because even now we're, we're hearing about Africans uh, going to Mexico as, in hopes of sneaking into the uh, United States. And this is with things as they are. If there was massive starvation, that would only increase, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And just look at what's currently happening with farming um, country in the middle of the United States right now. It's all It was mostly underwater for most of the that's spring. Right. That's right. Um, do you think it's at this point, then there is something that, um, that we could do in terms of, you know, actually taking carbon out of the atmosphere or is it, or is it time just to start figuring out how to repair it once it inevitably happens? Uh, I think it's both. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the estimate that the scientists have now where they were saying before they were thinking it's 20 to 30 years out. Now they're saying it's 10 to 15 right. where it could be irreversible. So I think it should be a full court press. Yeah. Um, can I ask you about the Trump presidency? Sure. I know you've done a couple of articles about how uh, his tweets are an absolute godsend to uh, foreign intelligence analysts. W- what do you think they – how do you think they're using his Twitter feed? Uh, well, look at how Kim Jong-un um, in North Korea has used that relationship. He, he understands completely what, how to influence Trump, what his biggest incentives are, which are praising him. Saudi Arabia did the same thing. They had a giant billboard erected when he came to visit that showed him and the king on the billboard. It's just they're playing to his ego and they're watching and evaluating his tweets to see what his mindset is about various foreign policy issues. They're, they can easily play allies and other adversaries against us because they can see into really what his thought and topic du jour is that day. Do you think he knows that, though? I mean, as as cartoonist as he sometimes comes across, he's he's been around the block. He he, he must know some of his own tendencies, right? I, I would think at this point, at that age, he would know some of the, But I think he really thinks he can negotiate his way out of everything. Danny, is it possible? Can When you have somebody who takes that kind of unorthodox approach, 
a guy who can talk with these other egomaniacs like Putin and uh, Kim Jong-un, egomaniac to egomaniac, could that not sometimes lead to a breakthrough? I have no problem with diplomacy and talking, and I think that is not used enough. But I don't see that. That's not necessarily what he's always engaging in. I'm, I think it's great that he's reached out to North Korea and trying to have these conversations. But he always comes away with, well, we're best friends now. Well, that's not really the whole point of this. Yeah. It's not the, about his relationship with these people. It's about solving problems that are very nuanced and very multilayered for each country. And he doesn't understand the systems and the processes around that enough to be able to really, I think, come to a, a viable solution. It's great that he's trying to make these connections, but I don't see anything happening beyond that. Yeah. You don't think this is going to get North Korea to give up his nuclear arsenal? I think he goes back and laughs after his meetings. Really? You think he has any intention of giving up his nuclear arsenal? No. No. I mean, why would you? You, you, would, you would need to, again, have some kind of process and agreement in place. You need to have an international body monitoring that and agreeing to terms. And we aren't there. Yeah. So should he cut it off? Is it, does he have any leverage at this point? I, I, I don't know that he has any leverage, but I don't think you should ever stop talking. Yeah. The whole point of diplomacy is to talk to our adversaries. I don't think it's ever a bad thing. I mean, unless they're really, really resistant to ever coming to the table and negotiating, you should continue to talk. Yeah. If they got a deal where um, Kim Jong-un says, okay, I'll give my nuclear, nuclear arsenal, but you need to put up billboards of my picture in New York City, you know, something like that, just to massage my ego. Right. Would you take the deal? I mean, is it, is it, if it's a viable deal, is that really giving up much to put up a billboard? Probably not. Or, or maybe, maybe he'd say, get me a Nobel Prize. <laughs> I don't know that we have that leverage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes, the, you know. Peaceniks will do anything just to get a guy to get up his nukes. <laughs> um, and i got to ask you about one more relationship. Of course, that's Russia. If you were somebody else's CIA, would you want to see Donald Trump's tax returns? Do you think there's something in there that we ought to know? Well, I think they, if there is any sort of commercial relationship with any entities in Russia, they already know that. They don't need his tax returns to understand that. Mm-hmm. Now, if they're trying to exploit another connection – yeah, it would be of interest to them. That's what that's what intelligence agencies do. They want leverage. They they want to be able to understand really what motivates somebody or an organization. So I think his tax returns are valuable to pretty much everybody. So would it be smarter of him to release them? Depends on what's in them. Is it? Is what it, could be in Is them? it that at, damaging? At this point, at this I don't point. know. I mean, he, he's broken every taboo of being a politician. Right. I'm, what I'm, could possibly be in those tax returns? I think worse? probably embarrassment, right? Just he didn't make as much money as he says he did. So that, in other words, what's, what's, what he doesn't want us to know is what's not in there. And that's my guess. Really? His ego is what drives him. That seems to be his overall motivation for everything. Uh, so do you think he's at all compromised by Russia? That's a good question. I think more than anything, um, Russia has figured out how to influence him and manipulate him. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's compromised by Russia, but I think he's fallen into their trap. That steel dossier. Is that just bogus, or is there some grain of truth to it? Well, now we know that there's some things that have been debunked and other things that have been verified. Mm-hmm. So the steel dossier was really just an initial raw intelligence collection of information that was not vetted, meaning it wasn't verified. They hadn't yet figured out other sources to be able to talk to to see if any of it was, was really valid. Mm-hmm. And as a, a former member of the deep state yourself, 
do you think there was an effort to prevent him from getting elected from within our own government? To prevent Trump from getting elected from within our own government? No. Have you seen our government function? I always have to laugh when I hear about conspiracy theories about the United States government. It's like they can't get their stuff together to call a snow day half the time. I know, I know. But you're, you're, I mean, the CIA is, I mean, I have no idea how you actually operate, but I mean, they they do some. Their charter, they're unable to do anything domestically in the United States. I know it's super fun to believe that they can do things domestically against a United States citizen. But after the church committee, which everyone should read about. Right. Um, that governs exactly what what the CIA can and so you guys can't do. Well, you, you can't do assassinations, but you can target terrorists, obviously, because that's, that's what you do. But did. you can't touch and influence U.S. citizens. That's and that's you yeah. you ha, you're, you have a foreign mandate, and that wall has held in your experience. Yeah, it has. No yes. As um, as dicey as things have gotten in Washington, I, I've always said when people say, "Why aren't you more upset about Trump?" I said, "Well, you know, that's the Constitution was specifically written for this kind of person." That's why there's a, a House and a Senate and a Supreme Court. And so I've always had confidence that no matter who got in there, that whether it's impeachment or simply, you know, the head of a committee saying, no, you can't do this, that we had built-in protections. Do you have that kind of faith? I am worried about it now because I can see how erosion happens and how quickly. So the longer he is in office and continues to push some of these policies and deregulations, the more some of these agencies and their influence and their ability to stand up to the mission that was carved out for them starts to erode. So you get like-minded individuals in powerful positions. Um, the political appointees bring in their own staff. You eventually start changing the culture and, and the nature of some of these uh government agencies that are built around trying to protect some of those institutions. The three branches of government, I mean, we've seen – the GOP has a hold over the Senate. Nothing's they will right. con, they will fight to their death probably to protect Trump at this point. It looks like they they don't care what he does, how many emoluments clauses he <laughs> violates. It just doesn't matter to them as long as they have control and McConnell can do whatever he wants. You think he's violated the emoluments clause? I, I I'd be hard pressed to imagine that he hasn't. Just because of his hotels and it, even, people renting yeah, rooms? I think that's the tip of the iceberg, probably, for what he's violating. Really? Yeah. Like, what else? I, I just, it seems like the, the collection of things that have happened that keep coming out over the last couple of years. I mean, I, other specifics beyond the, ho- the hotels at the moment, I can't remember. But Mar-a-Lago alone is, it, mm-hmm. it just astonishes me. Well, I mean, there, there seems to be a general feeling that there's a lot of Russian money involved in his real estate. But nobody's been able to prove anything conclusively. And and. I mean, as far as I know, we do business with Russia on a regular basis. So what the heck? I, You're still worried. I'm still absolutely. I, I haven't reassured you. No. Mm. Okay. Do you think he completes his term in office? Yeah, I do. Yeah. He gets reelected? I hope not. I really, really hope not. Mm. You going to get in politics yourself? I don't know. I've thought about it. And then like the next second, I think that's insane. You've been recruited? <laughs> no. Nobody's asked you yet, Mm-mm. no? I know it's a pretty compelling portfolio, former CIA officer, tough enough to uh, target people for drone strikes, been to Iraq, seen a lot of stuff, been past PTSD. It'd be hard for, for an opponent to disrespect you and say you're a wimp. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> Nada Bacco, author of The Targeter, My Life in the CIA, Hunting Terrorists and Challenging the White House. She's going to be at Town Hall at 730 on June 30th.
Thanks very much for coming in, Nada. Yeah, thanks for having me.